0: To cultivate uh, a life of engaged non-attachment. And what that means for me is to be fully engaged in that which you are doing.
1: Hello everyone, welcome to Radically Loved Radio. I wanted to create a place where people can go to to get inspired, get motivated, or find some clarity and get tools to create a radically loved life. I will do my best to provide information on a variety of subjects, including yoga, holistic health, life coaching, spirituality, meditation, and overall mindful living. Each episode will bring you some of the world's best spiritual leaders, entrepreneurs, yoga teachers, coaches, along with some of my closest friends, and we will talk about their life experiences and journeys to create something more out of their lives and how they continue to grow to make that happen. Thanks for listening. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to Radically Loved. I am joined by a very special guest. We're in human form. This is my first inhuman interview since January 2020. (laughs) Yeah, we have Wade Lightheart here, and he's been on the show. He was on the show recently, actually, but we had such great feedback that we needed to do another one and any advantage that I get to see somebody in person I'm going to take so thank you so much for allowing us to record we're at the biooptimizers biohome bio yeah we got yeah. the biohome yeah biohome mm-hmm. it's so i mean it's awesome thank you is this not, is this open to only certain people or what what is
0: we this? are well, we hope to be doing events here mm-hmm. um, but we do bring in special guests like yourself for you know different Reasons. <laughs> <For different> reasons. <laughs> <laughs> you know, we have a pool table here. Yeah. We've got training on the roof. We've got some biohacking stuff. We've got the video presentation center. Yeah. We've got a chef place over there. We yeah. do, we do all kinds of fun stuff here and yes. it's only starting and we're getting more and more and more. So
1: I'm excited. Yeah. I one of the there was a a long list of questions that I didn't get to ask you the last time we okay. chatted and you and I have the same, um, I would say, spiritual lineage. Yes. And one of the things that I wanted to ask you that I didn't get to ask you the last time was, how did you get on the path? Like, what sure. led you to your spiritual practice? Like, how did you end up learning about Paramahansa Yogananda?
0: Sure, I would say it was a series of miracle of miracles. Uh, largely in part, I think, Yogananda have really had to kick me in the head a few times for me to actually get it. Um, so, in, there was a couple of events that happened. So, when I was 22, uh, I had a near-death experience. And from that, um, I got really clear that I don't have to operate from faith. There is a God, and, and when brought and forth, the presence of divinity you judge yourself you're not judged within by any external source you, the presence of the divine light of eternity of ever loving foreverness which is both brilliant and gentle um, when you're faced with that and you do the life review, the, the experience I had was self-loathing I had experienced my mm-hmm. life, the life review through all the pain I had caused other people through my ignorance and. I, the result was, oh, that's not good. And from that, I went through a series of um, past lives. And I'm 22 years old, I've right. got no experience with reincarnation or past lives or any of this stuff. I had stepped away from organized religion. And this was a very transcendent experience. And then uh, I went through the period, of, uh, process of coming back and was totally blown away as a fourth year university student, which then seemed like kindergarten. Uh-huh. So. That really started my path into a deeper exploration of self and then um, that would be in 1994. And in 96, I was uh, working in a place called Canadian Sun Vitamins and the, uh, it was in North Vancouver, there was a little mall there and I worked in this little section of a store that they had a supplement store within, a big store within the Bay, which is a big chain in Canada. And uh, this wonderful lady, um, who I worked with, gave me a book called Autobiography of Yogi, Yogananda's famous book, one of the 100, top 100 spiritual books of all time, which was really the first glimpse at what Eastern philosophy was like mm-hmm. to the West. He came here mm-hmm. in 1920 and really was the father of the yoga movement and all of what we have today. And I remember reading the first part of that book, and I'm like, wow, what the? I'm kind of lost here. It's kind of boring. It's kind of slow. It's kind of, I'm not quite sure what's happening. But I got, he was going to see a bunch of different saints. And one of the saints that he saw in this book was called the Tiger Swami. And the Tiger Swami was this super muscular yogi guy that was like punching out bricks in the wall and wrestling tigers with his bare hand into submission. I was like, hey, man, maybe there's something to this yoga <laughs> stuff. I like, you, you need to get this. I, I went at that time being a young, strapping yeah. duck and wanting to get bigger and stronger and all these things. I was like, wow, this is cool. So I read that. And the beauty of that was is it resolved my issues with organized religion. Mm. So that was, but for some reason, maybe the meditation piece had fallen out of the book or something. I don't know. I didn't get the, the, the process that I could engage in practice that they offered. and. Life had a different turn of events. Uh, of course, I went on to my uh, early competitive career, which I then resolved when I saw that bodybuilding was essentially a drug cult in 1998. And then I left that, started my own practice uh, at a nutrition store and personal training stuff in Vancouver. And after a year of working like a maniac, I kind of fell in with the wrong crowd and discovered underground, you know dance parties and the whole drug scene that went along with that and had an, an absolute raucous time that was totally uh, x-rated and fun and crazy but led me to a very dark place as it tends to do. and. Um, ended up with and i won't go into all the details but it, there was a series of events that happened in a couple of weeks that would radically you know, my house was broken into mm-hmm. um i was supposed to take his job with a an executive place in an international kind of industry um that person got ar- arrested by the fbi because they were this sort of thing i didn't know that because they were thing and then um a whole crazy bunch of things happened and and these two people came into my life they were a brother and sister who were kind of in this underground scene and I had never met the brother and the brother gave me these three books on yoga and two of them I can remember very clearly one was Common Sense About Yoga and Raja Yoga by Swami Vivekananda and during that time I had been experimenting with meditation and using Baroque music to get into uh, to frequency states And then uh, that was from a book called Super Learning. And then I realized, well, if I overlaid the beats and sped up the beats and concorded that with different types of drug usage, I could, you know, stay up for an extended period of time. I could learn at a high speed. And I started to have all these kind of alternative experiences. And it was working, but there were some problems with that. And the interesting thing is I came back home because I landed in the hospital. I have been... In a really bad state, I've been overdosed and had another drug issue and all this sort of stuff. And then I, so I had to escape this world that I'd wow. encased myself in, yeah. And uh, you know the the criminal associations and all of that stuff, and got out of it, and was reading these books at home. I went back to New Brunswick where my parents. Was I was in Vancouver, Canada at the time, and I read these books. And inside one of the books, Common Sense About Yoga, it said if you engage in a meditative practice and use know um various types of drugs or things that alter your states or sounds without the guidance of a realized master you're gonna be a physical and mental wreck and i was like perfect i figured out what happened to me because i was a physical and mental wreck yeah and i was like i need a teacher okay well i heard that when the student's ready the teacher will appear so I said, with all my heart and all my mind, I'm ready for my teacher to come to me. And that night, Yogananda appeared in my room. And I mean, I'm not talking like I had a vision or a dream, I'm talking was in my room. And a silent transmission came from him is that you need to do Kriya Yoga. And so the next day I got up and got on the computer and up came this picture of Yogananda and they said there was this self-realization fellowship in Vancouver, which I was going to go back to. And I was like, okay, well, I like, got a hold of that and called them up on the telephone and I'm like, Hey, I want to do this Kriya Yoga. How much does it cost? Who's <laughs> teaching it? And they're like, no, 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 that kind of work like that. You're, you can apply for these lessons. And then after a year or so, you can engage in um, the practice. If you get so, so inclined, you can do Kriya. Right. I'm like, oh, cool. I'm in. So I got these I moved back and to Vancouver, because I had a couple month period to kind of straighten my life out. And I went back and I had to extricate myself from that world. So there were some yeah. dangerous consequences that were not easy to get out of. Uh, it involved sense. you know, driving the back of a Lincoln Navigator with uh, cool. bad people with yeah. guns to your head and stuff like that. So a series of events, but somehow I got out of that and left that world and start up my practice I remember when I first got my lessons I was like oh my wow like it was just like yes somebody knows what I've been thinking and a few month or two later I ended up going to the meditation center because I said it'd be helpful to go around and be around other people and I went there and cultivated some relationships and some practices and uh, you know the funny part about it was I hadn't fully extricated myself from my party lifestyle Mm. so I used to Go out partying, and I and I had this like, I was just the quintessential, you know, bad-looking, muscle dude, and I'd be coming in with oh a goodness. variety of nefarious characters, like yeah. flying on MDMA into the yoga center on Sundays, going like, man, you gotta get into this meditation, like when we're just what's this awesome, <laughs> <laughs> so uh i was the baddest yogi you could ever imagine Uh, but you know there was something within that essence that uh, was really helpful for me and i found solace in it and eventually all of or most of the things and we're still working on things it's always a work in process uh, have dropped away since then
1: i you know we had a conversation about my colorful past as well but one of the things that i find fascinating was here you have all the tools, right? You have all the information ready and it keeps presenting itself, but still the time that it takes for you to actually be able to integrate. Yeah. Um, even though you had a very visceral experience with having a, seeing somebody yeah. say, hey, this is what you need to do. Yeah. How, how long did it take for me to get to that point to actually feeling like, okay, I've all the nefarious characters have dropped off and now I can actually focus on
0: Well, I don't think the nefarious characters ever drop away. I think, I don't, I'm not so sure that you actually resolve those things. Mm. I think you learn how to manage those things. So to me, self-realization is recognizing I'm that guy. I'm the wild man dancing on a pool table with a bunch of crazy people whacked out of my head to some dance tracks and flipping out and having a great time. And I'm also the the fella sitting on a rock in Sedona, Arizona, all by myself, meditating for hours. I'm both wow. of them. And so I I think a lot of people have a vision of you're supposed to be this serene meditative character that is you know zen all the time and 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 i do aspire to be that way but if you look at yogananda the person and i always used to have this is my issue like you'd go to the thing and everyone's like they're talking these quiet soft overtones right you know and and they're like to demonstrate the peace that they're right but when i'm listening to yogananda he says you know when i'm hearing his speech you know uh you know you your stand amidst the crash, the breaking words, and remain unshaken. Like, this guy is like, intense. fired up. Yeah. He's intense. He's got the fire in his eyes. And he, and he says, you know, one of the things that he said is, listen, if you're going to be a villain, be the greatest villain that you can be. You know, life is just a movie. This is a picture. It's all shadows and light. And that's not saying go out and be a nefarious character what it's saying is there's a nefarious character within all of us mm. and to be an acceptance and recognition of that and recognize that that's innately part of me and will never drop away it's just am i feeding it or not and the deeper i go into my spiritual internal realm the the less frequent that character comes out, but when it comes out, it's more in a wholesome way as opposed to an unwholesome way, right?
1: Give us an example.
0: A couple of weeks ago, oh, so over here, we got a pool table. So a friend of mine, and he's, he's a great guy, Keith, he got a pool table at his house. And I used to play pool, I was kind of one of those kids who like skip school and we played pool. It was kind of a cool thing when I was a young guy. And I, I was pretty good at it and then it kind of faded away for years and you know, it was fun. And he got a pool table and so I would go down to visit him and we started playing pool. And one of the things that emerged out of this for whatever reason spontaneously is I started doing this commentation, like a commentator, like a football oh, okay. commentator. Yeah. Only I was making the comparison that I was playing football while i'm shooting pool and i'm doing this narrative and it became quite funny and he's a comedian and he's a business guy and he's probably one of the most fun likable people of all time and that emerged and then a bunch of us gets involved and we're all playing and we're on then i'm it turns into this whole crazy show and then uh the the, the next guy garrett he's earns a big internet stuff he gets a pool table and so now we have a league and we get jerseys and we have titles and you know like i'm thunder from the venice beach vikings and this guy is you know so and then we're we're trash talking each other on the table and we're having so much fun and then the other day uh, for whatever reason because we get the karaoke machine out and we're oh, singing yes. karaoke as well so we're playing pool doing commentary singing karaoke and uh Uh, Garrett starts rapping to this cool beat and and I'm on fire that day on the table, and so I'm working the table like I'm plant pandering. I'm I'm imagining I'm pandering to eighty thousand people. And then I start break out dancing and he's rapping and I'm dancing and it's somehow in the middle of the pool table. So it was very not unlike my wild crazy self of twenty years ago, but it just spontaneously emerged in the moment.
1: Right. And it's so it it's such an immersive natural joyous pure state that's what you're saying right i have no control
0: of it it just kind of comes out and i witness it and i don't where maybe there was a time in my meditative yogic practice and i think this happens for a lot of people yeah they think somehow that they have to tone down their wild side yeah as opposed to um Express the wildness of oneself in a wholesome way, right? Because yeah. not being wild, I think, is kind of boring, and yeah, flat, and makes some people who might live a more raucous kind of lifestyle say, "Hey, that's not it." And there was a great scene, I think, in um, Awake. There was a famous actor that came to see Yogananda, and,
1: and I love and, that film. Yeah, and he and, film.
0: he and he and he said, to, "Yogananda says." He says so let me get this straight. I can come here, and I can, I can still drink. He's like, yes. I, I can still smoke. Yes. I, I, I can still date around with all these girls that I like. Absolutely. He goes, well, this sounds like, hey, I, I, I'm into this. He goes, but you may find that if you do this for long, those things will fall away on their own. And of course, now he's, 50 years later and those things have fallen away from that person but yoga wasn't a way of restriction mm-hmm. it was a pathway where the negative or the the thomas yes. aspects of oneself start to drop away on their own not that you're trying to hold them at bay but that through the inspiration of divinity that they burn away
1: yeah yes oh everything i love everything that you're saying because that was one of the big draws for me as well and why that made sense to me was because I didn't feel that restrictive uh, life. It didn't feel that way. It felt like yoga was way more encompassing and more accepting than any other path that I had looked into or, or did research on. Um, this whole idea that we have to be a certain way or behave a certain way. Yeah. and I find that fascinating, especially when I first started to teach because there's a certain level of caring yourself. And I'm not saying that that's wrong. I'm just saying for people like you or, or me, I, I feel like we, we thrive more in being in the experience of life as opposed to shying away from those uh, I like you call it raucous, raucous moments. Yeah, yeah. like that—that that energy that we have—that is part of the vibrancy of life. That I love karaoke, by the way. That's one of my favorite pastimes, and I, I love that you do that because, in a sense, everything is yoga, right? Everything is part That's of. Union. Yeah, it's exactly what it is. So, what is for you in that? there's so much that you said that I want to go back to because you have so many great stories and so many great experiences. I've had other friends that have had near death experiences as well. And for some of them, it, it wrecked them in a, in a very difficult way.
0: It can be, it can be the integration after is not easy.
1: That's exactly what I want to talk to you about. I want, I mean, to tell us about what that integration was like.
0: Yeah. Um, I'll finish one piece on the last one because I think it's worth saying. Uh, so, after doing my meditation practice and finding some struggles in some of the restrictive components of yoga, I discovered the teachings of David Hawkins. And I would go and meet with him. We'd go to his events, and I got all his videos and the books. And they're absolutely a, the most thorough component of the human condition. He wrote The Map of Consciousness and all this. And, you know, I struggled with this idea of sainthood. Like, so in the West, we celebrate sainthood. Mm-hmm. In the East, they celebrate Buddhahood or enlightenment. And we were at this event with um, Dr. Hawkins, and he was talking about this, right? The sainthood versus enlightenment. And where Jesus taught just to save you from the lower aspects of, you know, the worst mm-hmm. aspects of the human condition and maybe get to a place of unconditional love where enlightenment is, is in peace and beyond. And he talked about um, Nisargada Maharaj, who was smoking c- cigarettes in his biddy shop, but he was fully enlightened. Then he would wander off from the shop and they'd have to go get him and all this sort of stuff. And, and he said, you know, sainthood is the perfection of the personality. Enlightenment is transcendent of and it was the biggest relief in my life because I realized like sainthood was probably not in the cards for me. <laughs> like you know, I'm, t- I'm really trying to be a good yogi, but I don't think I'm doing a great job, right? I'm still swearing. I'm still not eating the right things part of the right. times, right? I have bad thoughts or whatever. I probably have sex too much. All those sort of things. So I was like, God, you know, how am I ever going to get to sainthood? You know, it's just. And then when that came in, I was like. Well, maybe I can just bypass sainthood and become enlightened and just let the, the body and its personality and my ego do whatever it is, because I'm not in charge of that anyways. It's just happening on its own. So, yeah. So that's that. Um, now, to go back to your further question about yes, um, near-death experiences. I've what I've had, and I, I had um, two other incidences, and one not so long ago. Um, which was the ultimate, the, the ultimate death experience, which is death not just of the physical body, but death of the ego itself. But what uh, Hawkins writes about in his book is the final door. And when he talks about the, death wasn't that terrible, uh, first and foremost. So people who are worried about it, there was certainly the first time that I experienced that there was a resistance to it. Um, and some fear obviously that came up for that especially because it was what that happened when I was 22 and I'm like That's too young. It's time when my sister died at 22. I'm like, Oh, man mm-hmm. I died at 22 in another lifetime that went my lifetime review and I was like mm-hmm. oh It's kind of like a point that I got to transcend which I somehow I did. I don't know how divine grace um, and then there's the other times through plant medicine going into that death experience and then emerging into the light, which was absolutely super beautiful, almost a melting sensation. And then the death of the ego or the final door, which you go in, which is to actually lay one's life, what you think is your life, down for God. Mm-hmm. To walk into the bullets and you see who goes through that moment, um, like, you know, Gandhi and. Um, Martin Luther King and Jesus and others that kind of lay a permanent track there. And, but the, when you, what we think is our life is actually a derivative of the one life, the one thing. And when one comes fully aware that you haven't laid down the idea of separation, because separation is what gives you what you call your life and what I call my life. That's terrifying. And I mean, it's really terrifying. It's terrifying on a level that I don't think most people can appreciate. Um, Because the soul has a kind of a recollection of going through death that I think makes the moment a little easier to accept when one's in it than we might imagine. Mm. But the the big death, what I would call, where you recognize that, oh yeah, I haven't really laid down this idea that there's a me and there's Mm. a God. That one's, um, that one we're still unpacking. Mm. That one we're still unpacking, and I obviously I'm still here, so I didn't completely go through the final door. Right. And I don't profess I'm enlightened or anything like that. I don't want to be clear about that. I'm not saying I, I've just had these unusual experiences that allow me to not operate on the aspect of faith. These are experiential realities, like you know, going to the store or lifting weights, or smelling a rose. So I've been given the good fortune of not having to operate on faith. But the integration part after, in all cases, and I think people that go down the plant medicine route or people that have near-death experiences, these are different forms of death. And Jordan Peterson talks about this. Every time that you go further into the truth, there's a part of you that has to die. And that's very uncomfortable. Your own ignorance has to die. Your own aspects of character flaws or, or, or character assets that don't serve you anymore has to die. And that dying is something, as we talked about in the West, which we're not as comfortable with. And yet that's also what opens us up to something far greater than our own life and experience. But coming back from that, it can be very discombobulating many saints i know they they take years of integration when they go through it they they take on different names they leave careers family like it's it's extremely disruptive and it's important to know about it beforehand if you're really going for god if you're really mm-hmm. going mm-hmm. for divinity then you better you better tell the people around you that cuz it can come upon you or descend on you at any moment and usually you're unprepared for it.
1: Right, how do you prepare for it? I mean, as, as many people think that they do. I mean, a lot of these, these Eastern practices are to prepare for death.
0: Yes, yes. Yeah, because death is, is, is what enlightenment is, death of what you think you are into right. that which has always been. And I think a lot of people don't see death. that death is something that's an avoidable thing, and that doesn't mean you go run towards it. But it's something that you have to transcend. And the physical body, and the, the aspect of the ego, its fundamental aspects, is you know, uh, is to acquire stimulation. Yeah. You know, that we have our sensory organs so that we can get food to support the system to stay alive, and we have this desire to procreate so that we can create an extension of our protoplasmic self into other ones, right? And then there's the defense mechanism to ward off other attackers who may be trying to consume us. Those are the three things, the feeding, fighting, and fornication, aspects of the ego, which all other aspects emerge from those things, which is the protoplasm's desire to live, to continue to live, and to replicate itself.
1: Right. Sounds like the matrix. Yeah. You know?
0: Well, we are kind of living in the matrix, right? We it's are. The, uh, it's I, think, a,
1: the, the, I think we talked about this the last time. I'm going to try to remember. Um, no, we, we totally are. This episode is brought to you by Tonal. So lately I've been rocking out to some early 2000s hip hop on my Tonal. As I've told you guys before, I love working out on this thing. I don't miss going to the gym at all. And the fact that I can make my own workouts, I can customize however I want to train is a huge plus for me. Since I'm still on the mend, it's been really nice to be able to do some of the beginner workouts. Their latest feature has advanced weight modes. You can do spotter, eccentric, burnout, and chains, and you can actually feel the difference. I love using my tonal because it makes working out easy and accessible, especially during the times that we're in now. Being able to work out from the comfort of my own home is priceless. Tonal makes it easier for you to achieve your goals with multi-week coach-led guided workouts. The power of the digital weights allows you to lift up to 200 pounds of weight. Tonal is a smart at-home gym that replaces every machine in the weight room and has personal training programs built in. Something even cooler is that Tonal begins to adapt to you. It begins to learn how you work out. But don't take my word for it. Check it out for yourself. Try Tonal for 30 days risk-free. Visit www.tonal.com. You'll get $100 off of the smart accessories when you use the promo code ROSIE at checkout. That's www dot t o n a l dot com and use promo code rosie tonal be your strongest orate is a fine jewelry brand founded by women for women pieces range from classic to statement to completely original orate makes the jewelry you've always wanted but could never find because it's all real gold you can wear it and never have to take it off you can shower sport sleep cook anything it's jewelry for life All Orate pieces come with a lifetime warranty because they know it lasts. The ladies at Orate hacked the jewelry market, making real gold accessible. Here's the best part. For every piece sold, a child in need receives a book to further their education. It's ethically sourced and sustainably made. Their gold is never mined, and their gemstones and diamonds are also certified conflict-free. Even though I'm spending most of my time at home, it's always really nice to wear my jewelry around the house and every time I do a podcast interview like this. As a supporter for this podcast, Orate has offered all of our listeners 15% off of your first purchase. Go to oratenewyork.com forward slash love and use promo code love to get 15% off. That's A-U-R-A-T-E newyork.com forward slash loved to get 15% off of your first purchase. This episode is brought to you by Cerebral. Did you know that last year, rates of anxiety and depression have doubled in the U.S.? These days, it can take weeks to get a traditional therapy appointment. Cerebral is an online mental health service that offers prescription medication, counseling, and therapy for anxiety, depression, ADHD, insomnia, and more. I was so grateful to have been introduced to Cerebral while I was going through COVID. I needed to talk to somebody. I was suffering from a very terrible bout of anxiety, and the process was so entirely easy for me, and the counselor was so kind and loving and completely empathetic to what I was going through. They do offer prescription medication online through a licensed provider, and they ship medications directly to your door. They have unlimited messaging with your care team. And with Cerebral Mobile app, it's like having your own personal care team wherever you are. You can connect to them straight through the app, schedule sessions, and find a place in your home where you're comfortable taking the conversation. Cerebral has affordable treatments that are one-third of the price of traditional therapy. Treatment options are available with or without insurance. Cerebral is in-network for several insurers, and they're working every day to grow their partnerships. And for a limited time for all of our listeners, you can receive 65% off of your first month of medication, management, and care counseling at getcerebral.com forward slash loved. Go to getcerebral.com forward slash loved to get 65% off of your first month. That's a total of $30 to get started. Join Cerebral today on their mission to make quality mental health care accessible and affordable for all. And now, back to our show. You know, one thing that you said, I just wanna go back to what you said because it was very poignant. Um, You said that you have the good fortune of not having to rely on faith. So there is this, this knowing that you have. How does that help you navigate living on this plane, navigating daily life?
0: Yeah, great question. Um, I think it puts things in perspective. Um, you know, I've been you know, having nothing and homeless and in the world as a vagabond, um, lived in the most beautiful places at the top of the food chain, as they'd say, you know, living in your penthouse, overlooking the city. Um, every kind of thing that you could possibly want. Uh, Relationships, money, clothes, cars, titles, all those things. Um, Now I just find them mildly amusing. You're cool, awesome, you know. It's kind of like passing by on a movie. And um, they're both enjoyable. And they're also, um, they're, there's hooks within them that you have mm-hmm. to be mindful of. And I'm no different than anybody else. It's easy to get hooked in that, right? It's easy to to get ensnared by the sensor. I never used to understand that when Yogananda would talk about the ensnarement of the sensory experiences. And one of his, his music senses, you know, desire, my old enemy, has surrounded me and he's giving me lots of trouble. Like, what's that thing about? What is this desire? I'm like, hey, What's wrong with having a cake, piece of cake, or what's happening? Like, what, what is that? But what I realized, it wasn't the actual moment of what you're trying to acquire. It is the feeling of lack that not having mm-hmm. it is mm-hmm. where you're enslaved by those sensory experiences, yes. right? I need, like you talked about this, I need this, or I must have that, or I've gotta have this, or why hasn't this happened? And that's when your senses are using to enslave you as opposed to senses being something that you can enjoy and experience. And so can you walk away from the best meal ever in the middle of it and not feel a sense of loss? Can you be um, making love with your partner be able to stop in a second and not feel a sense of love can you ultimately get to the end of your life and not feel a sense of loss well that's yoga
1: yeah oh so good i've never had anybody explain it that well in that very practical way because i mean it's hard that's why i mean it's it's called a practice because it's you have to continually remember you have to continually do that Um, what is your process of recognizing those ensnarements within yourself like in your mind what is the process that happens do you recognize it when you're in that domino or when you're in that process of oh here i go i'm getting trapped by this
0: oh sometimes yes but the really good ones are very subtle the very good ones hook you in and can take you years before you escape out of them. And there's a concept in yoga called samsaras, which is the, or samskaras, some people call it, which is the karmic seeds that lie within one consciousness. So we kind of think we have this model of the world that if you're doing a yoga practice that you are continually moving into this state of beautific bliss in the new ages, Kind of thing is i'm going to be rich and famous and happy and loved and joyful and all this poetic musical bs when if you study the lives of saints i mean th- the lives are oftentimes chaotic and tragic and horrific and, and you're going wait a second well where's all this rainbows and unicorns uh it looks like death destruction pain suffering enslavement like oh how can that be because with these karmic seeds that may need to be undone or or unrealized or realized, as you go up the chain, sometimes your biggest challenge is you couldn't handle it at this level of awareness. Now you're ready to handle the big boys. So here it comes. Here comes the big boy to really test you. And um, I think when you start to get into the more advanced states, if you look at Patanjali's yogas, the cities, for example, the supernatural powers mm-hmm. that come um, after you. Well, if you actually read the text, those are hooks. Those are obstacles they're, they're, to
1: move through the cities.
0: Yeah, yeah. Th- those yeah. are obstacles to enlightenment, not a- acquisition. Right. So what's interesting in the New Age world? It's seeming. It's it's a direction to the seeming acquiring of these siddhic powers of acquisition of claiming yeah. of in you know Intuition, clairvoyance and it like, see, right, right? Yep. but those are the subtler hooks in the spiritual realms cuz like oh i'm so enlightened you know i send a message and my friend calls me i do this and it, i'm a manifester that's a great one i'm a manifester wow okay yeah, <laughs> yeah. you know these are very very subtle and powerful hooks that I think really trip up you and can send you tumbling into the chaos of that because cities tend to come and go for most people Mm -hmm. and you'll have them for periods and and then if you seek the desire of them. So that's that thing. Second thing, spiritual company. So as I see myself getting entrapped in something or I come to these inevitable juxtapositions you do on the yoga path, you, you you need people who Honor and can recognize that that will give you honest feedback that you can have full transparency with them and that's a beautiful thing that you can have someone that can slap you upside the head when you're off and can celebrate when you transcend it or just to be a friend when you're going through some of the darkest parts of dark night of the soul um which is a part of it and that's when you do feel abandoned by divinity and you you lose faith and even certainty. And we all go through those things. That's part of the, part of the process mm-hmm. to go through the separation from divinity after your practice and continue to do your practice without looking for an outcome. And I was speaking with um, one of the more advanced monks one time. He says, yeah, yeah, there's about 14 years there where it was really flat. You know, this is a person that goes into the breathless state at will, and, uh, you know, I'm thinking, well, that
1: guy went through that.
0: What's coming for me?
1: (laughs) What was the last time you went through a dark night of the soul?
0: Oh, it seems like every other month. (laughs) (laughs) I I, I really had a a few months back, um, I had one of those really super transcendent experiences, and... um,
1: so you were, you were talking about um, the most recent experience of your dark night of the soul.
0: Yeah, well, that was having that experience of the complete dissolution of the ego. Yeah. And then coming back and having the sense that I almost continuously that I'm going to leave my body at any second. And um, psychically, that was very difficult to deal with.
1: How do you deal when you're having those moments? Is there something that you do something that you can do in those moments that brings you back to your body, or do you distract? Like, what happens in those moments?
0: Um, For me, because I would say that I'm not ready to make that step, and I feel there's much more for me to do in the world, but I remember, um, you know, when you read Autobiography of a Yogi, that's written on several levels, and and all great texts are, and there's, what's going on kind of like on the the report, but each one of those is an illustrative story that for me comes to life when I'm in one of these transcendent experiences. And that's the beauty of that book. And then there's a third piece with it, which is the subtle activities of that, which you should engage in should these things come up. And in Yogananda's life near, particularly as he got on, he would fight, With As he said, I would fight with Divine Mother to give me more time so that I could continue on with my work and my writings. And he would enter into the samadhi experience, and that's it, he'd leave the body. And what he invited the the chelas, his devotees, to do is to whisper in his ear that I love you, I love you, I love you, I love you. And that the devotion of his chelas to him would bring his soul back to the body, because that was the only thing that was inviting was his mission and service to the world as Yogananda the person, as opposed to Yogananda, the 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 spark of the infinite, d- divine. And for me, I I use that love for the mission of BioOptimizers, which is to end physical suffering and activate biologically optimized health. Um, I had a thought of my future children, which I really want to experience. And so my love for them, even though they're not incarnated yet, was those things that I use to continue to stay here um, and, and help stabilize that energy.
1: Mm i was just gonna ask you read my you went in with your psychic powers and you read my that was my next question is how do you inform you what you're doing now how does that spiritual practice inform what you're doing now and obviously it's helped you create this is your purpose it's your dharma it's what you're doing now it's that fulfillment of expanding this mission the same mission Um, and i always find it so fascinating when when i meet other yogis that are Able to um, fully immerse themselves in the human experience and allow all of those facets of who we are and accept it all and and thrive and live and be able to go through all of the motions of you know suffering and pain and loss and failure and all of the things and still be able to show up and say okay I can do this I can continue to do this or I choose to do this so. I think, I mean, there's, I said this the last time we had a conversation. I said, this is one of many conversations because I still feel like there's so much that I want to ask you, but I'm going to ask you just one, one final question. Um, And this is actually something I wanted to ask you last time. Um, You mentioned that you want to be a a father, Mm -hmm. that you're, you want to be a father and your children are not here yet, you haven't met them yet, or maybe you have, um, and you're just waiting for them to come to this planet.
0: Mm -hmm.
1: What is your biggest hope for them? What, What, if you can instill one lesson from your life that you've experienced onto them that will stay with them for the rest of their lives. They can have their dad tell them one thing in their ear, for the rest of their lives, what would you want that to be? Um,
0: It's always hard to say, because I think with not being a parent, there's a certain naivete that's being projected onto it. So I wouldn't Mm -hmm. be so bold to claim that I know exactly what that would be. But if I would guess, and that's the best I can do at this stage, Um, That would be to cultivate uh, a life of engaged non-attachment. And what that means for me is to be fully engaged in that which you are doing. 100%. Whatever that is. Without deviation and with certainty. For however long it is. Two minutes or 20 years. Or your whole life and when it comes the moment to let go of it you let go of it without any sense of loss mm. and if I could get that for my children then I would blurring this incarnation to a full success
1: Wow I love that um... I'm like, okay, now I'm really going to ask you the final question. I'm going to keep saying final question. Um, <laughs> it's where... like a weird sort of I jeopardy, know, right? I know. <laughs> All right, now for real. Um, no, I'm I'm just so grateful for you and just you, the conversations that I've had with you have left such an impression on me. And I really feel like you are a walking and living example of what it means to be a yogi in the real world. And I just so appreciate that. And it, it just to be in your presence has been such a gift and I'm so grateful that you are here in the flesh, that I'm you here. stayed here, that it's you're here.
0: Great to be here too, as long and, as allowed.
1: <laughs> and yeah, I'm just, I'm just so grateful to know people like you. It, it really is inspiring. Um, before I ask you the final, final question for real this time, uh, where can people go for more information?
0: Oh right yeah they go to biooptimizers.com and they can learn all about my health stuff. We have an awesome health course which is a the uh, 12 week 84 day course where we kind of express ourselves and physically that discipline we talked about yeah. and why that's important. So all the things that I learned condensed into a very easy component, that's Facebook and Instagram and all that stuff. My team handles all that stuff.
1: Yes, and uh, for our listeners, uh, actually, Optimizers and Wade's been a huge supporter of our show, so you can go to uh, bioptimizers.com and enter the code RADICALLYLOVE10 and get all of the products, especially Magnesium Breakthrough, it's my favorite. Um, I truly, I mean, it, it really is uh, something so inspiring to see when people are actually uh, they practice what they preach and I, I can't say it enough that you definitely are that person so the final question I'm curious if your answer is going to be different from when I asked you the first time sure. is um, You know We talked all about radical love uh, when I was on your podcast and the whole idea of Why I started radically loved was to build a space for people to go to to get inspired or to feel supported that the universe works for them and not against them. So final question to you is how do you feel radically loved?
0: Well the fact that we're here existence itself. If you look we're floating on a little piece of dirt some inconspicuous part of the universe traveling at some extraordinary speed and in this giant vacuum and these are all what we can determine with our sensory experiences the quantum world says there's infinite other worlds and possibilities and dimensions to this the fact that somehow we have cultivated this thing called consciousness we have this physical body and we have this we have existence itself so whatever it is that started this whole scenario has created you and has created you the listener or the viewer whatever that like so your existence is proof that you're radically loved because only love could possibly create something so magnificent and so unusual and so unique that that must cultivate from a position of such super intense, infinite, unconceivable level of consciousness, love, divinity, whatever you want to call it. I think the the knowable, the unknowable know that your existence is, is proof of that. And what more could you ask for?
1: That's amazing. That is very similar to your first response. So I love that. We'll have to link it here so that people can hear your other response. Um, they're almost identical um thank you thank you so much for doing this and you know just for being awesome and for all of your wisdom and your love the radical love that you put into everything you do we get to enjoy it so thank you so much well hey thank uh,
0: you for me uh, i'm always careful with all those accolades because you haven't seen me in my (laughs) grumpy self
1: (laughs) same same thank you thank you everybody thanks wade you're the best thank Thank you. you Hey, everyone. I hope you enjoyed this episode. I am so excited to continue to do this. Please share this with your friends. Email us. Message us on Instagram at Rosia Acosta or on Twitter at Rosia Acosta. Subscribe on iTunes. Write a review. We love doing this, so please help us continue to keep this podcast going. Thanks for listening.